welcome to the That's What She Said podcast. My name is Alexa Dat. I will be your host. Producer Kyle is here. And our special guest this week is former NFL safety for the Jets, Falcons, Lions. Man, you've been all over the place, huh? Eric Coleman. Hey, Eric. How you doing? Yeah, Good. How are you? I'm, I'm great. I'm great. And that was a, a great career, playing nine years in the league. It was, it, was, it was fun. What was your favorite part about it? My favorite part was the people. You know, I got to meet so many different people. Um, from different walks of life, you know, all the teammates that you meet, all the different locations. You know, I came to New York. I'm from Sacramento, California, Spokane, Washington, never been on the East Coast before. Then I get drafted to New York City. So it was a it was a humbling experience. It was a lot of fun. And, and I love it. Are you close to a lot of the guys that you used to play with? Yeah, I am. I am. I'm, I'm very close to especially the guys from college who played in the NFL. I have a, a nice group of friends who. You know, we, we text every day. You know, we have a, one of those feeds where I'll wake up to 150 text messages because they're all, they're all on the West Coast, and I'm in New York. So uh, and then I just spoke to my, my old teammate, Eric Barton. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just spoke to him on the way here. You know, he, he's living in Manhattan Beach, California. Wow. Uh, living the life over there. Oh, my gosh. My goal in life is to go from Manhattan to Manhattan Beach. Mm. I never want to leave actual Manhattan, so I don't know how that's <laughs> going to work out. But that's kind of a visual goal for me just because it's Manhattan, right? New York mm-hmm. is the best place to live. And then it's going to live on the beach, which would just be absolutely I don't want to burst And Manha- Manhattan Beach is fantastic. Yeah, I don't want to burst your bubble. Manhattan Beach, not really like Manhattan, just shares the name. No, it's exactly. Well, that's the whole point. It's amazing, though. It's fantastic. It, no, I mean, California's oh beautiful. Gosh. I went to visit him, and one you wake up in the morning, and there's dolphins yeah. swimming in the, in the water. People going surfing and... Yeah, that's the life over there. But New York is where you ended up for... Yeah, you can't beat it. My, my wife is from Long Island. Mm-hmm. And so I met my wife when I was in my third year, my third season. We ended up getting married right before I went to Atlanta. We had some kids and I always knew that I was going to have to come back to New York. My wife is Sicilian and has a very <laughs> close family. So, uh, it, you know, we, we bought some property out in Long Island and built on it when I was playing in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And when I decided to shut it down, we, we moved in and, and here I am. So what's the off-season like? Because if you've got a place in New York, mm-hmm. does the family stay in New York and then you're in Detroit? In fact, how does that work out? Well, D- Detroit was a different situation. So I played two years in Detroit. And my first year, uh, we, had, we had just moved there. I had a two-year-old, two, my daughter was two or three at the time. And halfway through the season, I broke my leg. Right. So my wife was about eight months pregnant. I had a two-year-old. Uh, my, my wife was going back and forth for her doctor's appointments because she didn't want to have the baby in Detroit. Okay. And so once I broke my leg, I went on injured reserve. I drove my family back to New York, and I would just go back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, on, on away trips, I would come home. Uh, I would do my rehab in Detroit and just go back and forth. But uh, while we lived in Atlanta, it was a lot better because we had a nice house there. We would come up to New York for, you know, a, a week at a time, mm-hmm. spend time with the family, and then go back home. So uh, it's, it's, it's a different life, but it's a life that I love. I got to see some, some great parts of the country and, and, you know, experience some things that I wouldn't have if I didn't play football. Favorite part about New York? My favorite part about New York are the people. You know, everyone in New York is real. You really like people, huh? You're a people <laughs> yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. I, I am. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a people person. And, you know, coming from Washington State, you walk down the street and you say hi to everyone who you see. You know, you're like, hey, how you doing? All oh, the kids good? You know, you come to New York. I used to hate it. You know, I was like, everyone here is mean. You know, they, they're, they're aggressive. They're this and that. But once you get to know the New Yorkers, they just cut to the chase. They don't have time to sit there and, and talk about what's going on in life because, right. you know, it's, it's such a hustle here. But when you meet a New Yorker, you know immediately where you stand. If they don't like you, they're going to let you know. If they like you, then they're going to sit there and talk to you. So that's what I love about New York. The people, they value relationships, uh, great restaurants, you know, wherever you go. Uh, living on Long Island, you got the vineyards, you got the Hamptons, you have the city whenever you want to. There, there's so much to live in here. And I don't think I could live anywhere else. Yeah, Long Island's probably the cream of the crop because you get the space if you need a house, mm-hmm. right? You have the beaches, then the city is super close and you can do whatever you want in terms of going into the city as often as you want and still enjoy city life. It's, it's nice as someone who grew up there. I mean, you know, I, I liked my growing up on Long Island. The suburbs are okay, but I wanted to get into the city and I've been living here now for five years within the boroughs. So I, I think a lot a lot of Long Island natives have that sort of affinity for wanting to be more in the city, or some just want to get out. But yeah, it's hard to. But leave. that's where you a lot grew of people. Up, a lot of people come back. Yeah, yeah. So right. you yeah. grew up there, yeah. so uh, you you know you experienced that your whole life. I, I'm coming from the West Coast. I come to New York, and it's like everything is new. You yeah. know what I mean? Discovering Long Island is new. Uh, the city is is crazy. I'm still 
I'm still finding out different parts of the city. I've been here for, for years. Right. You know, so it, 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 I love it here. I, love I didn't it. go to the Empire State Building until I was 25 years old. <laughs> and still, the only reason I went was because my cousin, who was in the Navy, could get us past the line. Oh, like, yeah. Show up in full uniform. They just take you straight to the top. And but I was you can like, go, like, really late. You can go at 2 a.m. It's open really? super, super late. Yeah, but that's, late, it's like yeah. a touristy thing that if you grew up here, it's one of those things you're just like, it's just a building. Yeah, like, like I'm I, not awestruck by it. Yeah, but my wife gets mad at me. Skipping the line is cool. Yeah, like, my, my wife lie. gets mad at me because she's never seen the Space Needle. But I've never seen it either. I've never gone to the Space Needle. That's not really something that's exciting. Have you done all the touristy things in New York yet? I went to the Empire State Building okay. with my with my oldest daughter, and I haven't seen the Statue of Liberty. That, that's pretty much the only thing I've done mm-hmm. is the, the Empire State Building. Huh, that's interesting. Well, I mean, you. Just, I, th- I feel like the touristy things are the buildings, but then like just being within the city, mm-hmm. can, you can make that a touristy thing, finding like those yeah. little gems. You can just that hang out in Times Square exactly. and that's a touristy thing, yeah, but, but it's like, actually something to do. Go, like exploring me, I was, the I different grow up, like, areas. I grew up in the suburbs, yeah, so like just hanging out in time, just the lights and, and yeah, the Yeah, especially this time of year. It's amazing. The Rockefeller, the tree. It's incredible. The Radio City, the, all that stuff is really cool. And your girls like it? They love it. They yeah. love coming to the city. Every time they come to the city, they want to go to American Girl Doll, <laughs> go spend hundreds of dollars on a doll. <laughs> But um, but th- but they love it. You know, it's it's funny. Their their whole demeanor changes when they get to the city because they know it's important. You know, they yeah. feel like oh, I'm in the city now. You know, they walk with their head up and act like they know where they're going. Do you have like it's a bunch cute. of creepy dolls in your house? Though? So many dolls. <laughs> I, I have two girls. They're the eight and five. And they have so many dolls, and they just keep asking for dolls on Christmas for their birthdays. And we finally had a son. I have a two-year-old. Oh, and so, wow. yeah, so that's my little partner. So we get to get away from from the dolls and, and play with some trucks and stuff so like that. So two daughters and a son. Yep. Right. So the dolls were, like, piling up, and you're like, oh, my God, where are the footballs? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, itching. And that's all he many. wants to do is play with footballs and basketballs and pick up a baseball bat. So it's pretty cool. You show them tape of yourself ever playing? Um, my So my oldest has seen me play a lot. My younger one, she was a baby. Uh, my son, I plan on getting a, a highlight tape made from NFL Films. Oh, cool. I just found out the NFL Films, if you're a former player, they'll make a four-minute highlight for you. So I have to, I'm going to go do that. That's get some awesome. highlights to show my son so so he can't tell me I didn't really do it. Right, exactly, <laughs> because we all know you as a football player, mm-hmm. but he knows you as dad. Yeah. And it'd be cool for him to know the side that we see of you because it's just, you know, not many people get to play in uh, the NFL. And when you do you become a special part of, you know, the landscape of American history. Hey, yes. Sorry, guys. Uh, you got to lose the Aquafina and the Starbucks cup. Oh, shit. Oh. Okay. Appreciate it, guys. Put it on the ground. Aquafina and Starbucks aren't writing checks? All right. I guess not. We good, Andrew? Oh, I'm sorry. All good now. Thanks, man. Do you want... All right, I'll just uh, okay. Um, um, where are we picking up? Son playing football. Well, okay, how about this? Would you let your son play football? That that's an argument that my wife and I always have. Yeah. And and I would I would let him play football. I think that I would wait until he's about in middle school to play tackle football. You know, I grew up playing flag football all the way up to middle school, and I was fine. You know, I played nine years in the league, and, and you know, knock on wood, I'll be okay. You know, right. mentally, physically, I'm banged up a little bit, but that just comes with the sport. I would like him to do something using his mind rather than his body, but, you know, knowing my son, uh, he's built just like me. He's, he's, you know, he's two years old, but you can see that he's an athlete. Mm-hmm. I know that he's going to be attracted to sports, and, and they're probably going to come easy to him. So I'll try to put a baseball bat in his hands <laughs> rather than play some football. Some soccer cleats. Yeah, some soccer He'll cleats. He'll be like, what the heck Something is this? Else. Yeah. Like, baseball bat, you're like, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to be watching good. YouTube clips on how to coach him on different sports. There you go. But I, know, I know football. You know, I grew up playing other sports, but I'm definitely not an expert. What did you grow up playing? I grew up playing football, basketball, and baseball. Okay. And, and I stopped playing baseball when I was a junior in high school because I thought I had to get faster for football. And I still, when I was in high school, I thought I was going to the NBA, but I was like, oh, you're 5'11", <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're probably not going to make it. You're not that good. So uh, once the scholarship offers started coming in for football, that's when I focused on that more. When you were younger, was football your best sport, or were you better at something else? Um, I think that it was always my best sport. You know, I, I did excel playing basketball and baseball you know I was a three-sport athlete always playing sports but you know football was something that was always just special to me and it came easy to me I didn't have to work as hard at football because it was just something that was natural it was just a gift Mm -hmm. so you know I I did have the most fun playing football and were you always a defensive player 
No, I played um, – growing up, I played quarterback. I played running back. And in high school, I was a running back and cornerback. Huh. So I was I was all city, you know, all state and everything, playing running back and cornerback. And I got recruited to a couple of schools to play running back. But there was a time I went to Oregon State. And Dennis Erickson was the coach. And Chad Johnson and TJ Hushmanzada were playing for that team. And they were, they were a great football team. And I went on a visit there, and I saw – all the huge players on defense. There's like DeLorence Grant and there's all these huge guys. And I said, there's no way I'm letting these guys hit me. I got to be on their side of the ball. So that's when I decided I wanted to play defense. Oh my goodness. And right from then there, that's, you made that decision and it yeah, went on. Yeah. And I went to Washington state cause they recruit me as a, as a cornerback. I thought, and you know, I, I went to Washington state and my first day there, they told me I was playing safety oh. and I was like, what? I never played safety before, <laughs> you know? So, but it, but it was a good transition for me and, and it, it allowed me to play nine years in the league. So they obviously knew what they were doing. How does that transition happen? Does the coach come to you and say, this is what's going to happen. You're like, I've never done this before. Yeah. And then you just work on it or, you know, are you watching film? Are you, who, who, Who's coaching, you know, well, you following somebody else's lead? Well, they, they pretty much throw you right into the fire. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and me being fresh out of high school, going into college, it was kind of like I, I was going to learn relearn the position anyway because a lot of the things that you do in high school don't transition over to the NFL. Mm -hmm. You know, you get very technical. So it was a good thing I, I learned the position early. You know, I, I did go back and play corner for a year, which I think that helped me, you know, helped me in my draft status, helped me cover tight ends and, and helped me be a better football player. But – uh, but overall, it, it was something that you're going to have to do anyway. Kyle, you know that somebody else is taking notes, right? Hey, listen, I like to take notes because I like to formulate questions. <laughs> but our, our buddy Andrew in the control room is taking notes right now. All right, fine. Thank you, so Andrew. Why do you participate in the podcast? All right, well, you know that? what? I feel like I am participating in the podcast because you mentioned you went thinking you were going to play corner and now you're playing safety. In, but this is in college, so you're relearning all this stuff. How does it impact a guy like Darrell Rivas who might go from playing corner as a professional for – close to nine years now and then play as a safety it, that, that one's always interesting good question kyle thanks for joining that, the podcast. That's a great question. it's like great if i question, wasn't kyle. taking notes i might not have that well thought out to just come up and do that without stopping down yeah, but well people think that it's just an easy transition just because they've seen rod woodson do it charles woodson do it they think that it's just a natural progression you just go to safety but playing cornerback you're you're dealing you're reacting a lot you're playing up close you're you're in the fight you, you have to react so much mm -hmm. when you go back and play safety it's a different ball game one, you have to you, – there's a lot of space. You're playing in, in space. You're 15, 20 yards deep a lot of the times. Um, you have to take proper angles. You have to learn how to read offensive linemen for tendencies. You have to know a lot more playing safety. And then there's the physical aspect. You know, you have to tackle more. You have to take on blocks. And uh, it, it's, it takes its toll on your body. So you have to be physically prepared to do both. And uh, I know Darrell is, is a very smart player. He, if anybody can make the transition, he can because, you know, he's a very intelligent player, supreme athlete, and ha just has a great football mind. So I, I think if he wants to make that transition, he can. But I think that he'll go back in this offseason and get healthy. I think he's banged up right now. He's not running like he used to. He'll go get healthy and reevaluate himself, you know, after the season. What about the fact that he said that or they're saying that he is just kind of given up and he's done and he doesn't want to play anymore? Well, I, th I think that's unfair. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that – he was at such a high status, you know, Hall of Fame status. He, he was an elite corner for so long. You know, Revis Island, he was shutting down everyone, everyone in the league, anyone he faced, he was shutting them down. And now you see guys who are who are Jags, who are just a guy, they're beating them. You know what I mean? Is that a thing, Jags? Yeah, they're just a guy. We used to say it in meetings all the time. Oh, Those I are the guys that. where if they beat you on plays, then you get fined by your teammates. So you know, it was kind of a <laughs> joke in the locker room. But, you know, to, to see Revis – you know, get beat by players like this, you know, play just average guys, mm -hmm. there has to be something wrong with him because he can't fall off that quick. You know, I know he didn't really have a lot of the offseason to work on his skills because he had the broken wrist, but I, I think he's he's hurting a little bit. And, and once he gets back to, to being healthy, then he'll be able to reevaluate whether he wants to play corner or safety. If you have to put a percentage on it, what percent chance do you think we'll see him next year in the NFL? Ooh, that's that's a tough one. I would say I would say there's a, there's a – just off my personal mm -hmm. um, beliefs, I think there's probably an 80% chance that he'll be back. Mm -hmm. You know, knowing that the pride that football players have and knowing that where he was as a player, no one wants to go out, you know, on the on the bottom. You know, having guys talk about him, talk about Revis Island. You know, I know he wants to gain some of that respect back and, and, and really prove to himself that he can go out there and be the, the player that he's been his whole career. How about Ryan Fitzpatrick? Will he, will he be back? 
Ooh, he'll he'll be back. Okay. Some, he'll be back somewhere. Just not with the Jets. Yeah, maybe just not, not with the Jets. Probably not with the Jets. Okay. He'll, he'll play backup quarterback somewhere, and, and he'll help a team. You know, I, I always thought that Ryan Fitzpatrick was a great backup quarterback, a guy who can come in uh, and, and relieve the quarter, the starter if needed, but not a, really a guy who you want to rely upon for for seasons uh, to come because, you know, his his track record has shown that he's, he can be great in spurts, but over the long period of time, he falls off. So uh, it, that position is not an easy one to play. And, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for what he did in this league mm-hmm. and what he did last year. You know, he set a lot of records. And I, I really think he's a good player, but I think he's just in over his head, losing Decker, losing the weapons that they, that they lost. Well, that's the thing. He put together such an awesome season last year. I mean, he had everyone fooled because people were yeah. like, can he do this two years in a row? And we were like, um, no, maybe not, maybe not. And then he was holding out, and the Jets were like, well, screw we need to sign him because mm-hmm. we really don't have any other option. We're going to give him all this money, and it didn't end up panning out. Well, that's where that, that's where his smarts come in, right? You know, he <laughs> he was you know wanted to make sure that he took advantage of that that season, got rewarded for it. He did. He, he held out and got paid for it. But uh, it, it's tough. It, it's tough because the Jets are in a position to where there aren't many quarterbacks. There's not. There's probably about ten men in the in the world who are elite quarterbacks. So when you find a good quarterback, a solid quarterback. You have to hold on to him. And for the Jets, Ryan Fitzpatrick had threw 30 touchdowns a year before. Uh, you know, there's every reason. There's no reason why they shouldn't have signed him. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think they did the right thing by getting him signed up. It's just too bad that he wasn't able to perform and, and play up to the standard that he did the year before or anywhere close right. for that matter. So Ryan Fitzpatrick is a backup quarterback in your eyes. Geno Smith, too? Geno Smith, I, I think that he – has the potential maybe later in his career to be a starter. You know, everyone, he probably needs more help, right? He, he, he needs does. a great offensive line. He needs a little bit more time. He needs more weapons. You can't just put him out there with not much around mm-hmm. him and and expect him to be a he great does. quarterback. He's one of those players. Like I mean, you see a lot of the young players that have great defenses. Mm-hmm. They have a great running game, and it makes their job easier. I mean, I'm not taking away from Dak Prescott because he's a phenomenal player, but if you look at the Cowboys, they're built for him to have success. They run the ball well. When you run the ball, play action is a big part of the passing game. And As a defender, you can't just key in on the run. You have to creep up a little bit, make sure that you can get to that running back because no one wants a running back running full speed in the open field at them. Mm-hmm. So you want to get closer. You get, you cheat a little bit. You can't double-team wide receivers because you want to make sure there's a, another guy in the box accounting for that run, and it makes the passing game a lot more simple. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the defense has to show their hand a little, for, uh, a little quicker. So if Geno Smith were to have some tools around him, have a great defense, have a, a solid running game, and, and have some weapons, you know, I think that he can be successful in the league. All right, so he could be a starter. What about Todd Bowles? Is he back next year? Coaching the Jets? I believe I believe Todd Bowles is back. You know, I, I don't Why think... fire him, right? Yeah, Why? it doesn't make sense. This year wasn't Todd Bowles' year to put to hang on him. Mm-hmm. That's that's at least how I see it. I agree. I agree with that hundred percent. You know, you, you he put he put all the pieces together. He and Mike McCagney did a great job of putting a roster together. Mm-hmm. Now I don't blame him or McCagnan for all these stars, all these big money players that they that they paid. You know, the, the Wilkerson's, the uh, Mangold has been hurt. Mm-hmm. Eric Decker got hurt. Brandon Marshall at times has been inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Darrell Rivas hasn't had the season that, that he's had in the, in the past. Buster Screen hasn't been as successful as he was in the past. You know, all these guys where they paid a lot of money, when you're going to be a good team, you need those guys to play at an elite level all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you're making $5 million. You better play great every week. Right. You know, and then those role players, at times they step up and play you know, ab- above what with their what their um, what their skill set is every once in a while, but a- but overall, your great players are playing great, your good players are playing consistent, and you have a good football team. The Jets' great players haven't played well all season, right? And that's why you see them with three wins. And I don't think you can blame that on the head coach. You know, when you sign that contract, that that twelve million dollar deal or that eighty million dollar deal, you're you're signing on to play some great football and be dedicated to the team. And and they haven't had that for the Jets. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot that uh, has gone wrong, and people love to look at the head coach. And listen, sometimes it is the head coach. Mm-hmm. I just don't think in this situation it is. Plus, look at the head coaches that are available to coach in the NFL. Uh, the pool is so small. Yeah. It's not. Like you can go out and there are just you know there are a hundred coaches waiting to and great coaches to take NFL head coaching jobs there aren't and so for you to to drop a guy without really great reason doesn't really make sense if you don't have somebody else to step up to I, fill that, that and spot. I, I agree with you 100 and if you look at I mean look at the history of the game Bill Belichick didn't start off on fire you know these these organizations that have um, sustainable success 
they allow their coaches to grow. They allow their general managers to grow, develop their players, bring in the type of players that they need to be successful and, and see where it goes. I mean, if you give the guy, I mean, I mean, you look at Jeff Fisher. Oh, and right. th that's a guy who I think is, is a different case than Todd Bowles because he's been there for, what, five years? The, the Rams have continued to get worse and worse, and they had great draft picks every season. You know, they have a great roster, and they haven't had any success. Right. You know, I, I think that you need uh, a coach to be successful. He needs at least five years to, to set that foundation and, and change the culture of that organization, get the bad apples out, get the good players in, and, and the good people in the organization. Anyone but Rex Ryan. That's what <laughs> Just kidding. I just love making fun of Rex Ryan. Um, who have you either played with or played alongside or played opposite that is still in the NFL that you have an affinity for, you root for, when you turn on the TV on Sunday, you're like, oh, there's my boy. How is he still playing in the NFL? But I'm so proud that he is, and yeah. so I'm going to watch him. Well, you know, I, I've been out for four years, so there's there's quite a few guys who are, who are still playing. You know, when I was in Atlanta, that was um, – when I signed in Atlanta, Matt Ryan was drafted. So he's, he's a player that I always root for. You know, he, he's having some great success this year. Matt Stafford, another, another player who's having a lot of success. Wow. Both of them are MVP candidates. Uh, I'm very proud of both of them, you know, because I've seen them both kind of mature into the, the quarterbacks that they are right now. Um, who's better right now, Stafford or Ryan? Ooh, that's a tough one. I mean, I think – I don't think anyone's hotter than Matt Stafford right now. Mm. You know, he's doing a great job of spreading the love. But it's like those fourth quarter comebacks. What about yeah. starting off hot and then <laughs> continuing that throughout the game? You're right. Come on, my You're man. Right. And, and it's funny because in Detroit, because in Detroit, my first year there, I think we set a record for the most fourth quarter comebacks in a season. We had like seven comebacks in one season. And I don't know if it's the culture. <laughs> I don't know what MO, it is. Man. Yeah, that's their yeah. MO in Detroit. You just got to come back and keep fighting and, and don't stop believing. You also played with a beast in Detroit and Calvin Johnson. Oh yeah. What was he like in you know in practices getting into camp? Like was he a guy you were just like I'm not gonna go near him? Oh my goodness. He's huge. Like yeah. I'm gonna leave him alone. Let the corner deal with him. It, it was funny because you know my first couple of days in training camp, you know I was talking to my wife on the phone and she's like, Oh how's practice? How's everything going? And and I told her I said, There's this dude Calvin Johnson. I said it's beautiful watching him play. Wow. I mean because he's like you know six four. I mean he's like six five six six two hundred and forty pounds. He can run. 4'3", 4'2", 4'3", can jump 45 inches, and he just puts it all together. And he, I mean, he was a great player, great teammate, a very hard worker. You know, I, I live next door to Calvin. We shared the wall in a, in a townhouse. And there were times where I'd wake up in the morning to go to work, and as soon as I wake up, I hear his car firing up in the garage. And I'm, like, thinking I'm late, but it's, no, it's just Calvin waking up earlier than everyone else, getting to work, putting in that time, putting in the time in the film room and the, the weight room to get his body prepared. And, you know, very humble Mm -hmm. Very humble guy. Um, you know, if you were walking down the street, he would have a conversation with you. And, and you love seeing guys like that have success. And it, it was an honor to be able to play with Calvin. Yeah, it's pretty awesome to see these guys who are so gifted and so talented also work so hard. Because mm -hmm. if you can put that all together, man, you are a special kind of person. And then have the personality to go along with yeah. it, to be humble. I mean, there's not many people in the world that are like that, let alone guys who uh, make a lot of money playing football, you know? It's yeah, really I mean, and a, lot of pe a lot of people aren't built for that success. Mm -hmm. You know, you get that stardom, you get all all that attention uh you know everyone's trying to do things for you a lot of times that goes to your head but if you're if you have a great foundation you you know you, he has great parents you know i believe his brother and sisters are both you know lawyers and doctors his, his parents come from a working family you know and, and just just really good people and, and when you see people like that just be humble and thankful for everything that they have it, it's, it really makes you root for them all right so let's talk about some of these other guys that you played with that are no longer in the league uh i.e. Calvin Johnson. Mm -hmm. How about Tony Gonzalez when you show up to Atlanta? Are you like, who the hell's that guy? <laughs> I mean, kind of similar to the Calvin Johnson situation. You you called him beautiful. What would you call Tony Gonzalez? Tony was... Uh, Not him beautiful, sorry. No, the oh, way no, he Tony, played was Tony beautiful. Is, <laughs> Tony is definitely beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's an attractive dude. Yeah. He's a good looking guy. But, but Tony was... Um, you know, when you watch Tony practice... You, you understand why he has the success that he that he has in this league. Um, before practice, he's out running like three-yard square outs, you know, like at the top of his route, working on his out routes, working on like little steps. He'll do it for like 10 minutes. And you're like, what is Tony doing? And then you watch him in the game when it's third down and six, and what does he go to? He goes to that route, the ball's there, catches it, converts to play. Um, Tony was a – he was a – fanatic about his his fitness and what he put in his body i learned a lot about eating habits from tony you know he would you know i'd, I'd have a plate full of food and tony would come by and just shake his head 
And I'm like, what? What's going on, Tony? What I what I do wrong? Yeah. He said, you know, those yeah, your macros are off, and he would tell me all about my nutrients and all that stuff. But he really took care of his body, um, put in the work in the weight room, and, and really just went that extra mile to make sure that he stayed on top of his game. So. Uh, Learned a lot of lessons guarding him mm-hmm. as well. You know, in practice, he would beat me, you know, every once in a while. Not every once in a while. He'd probably beat me most of the time. <laughs> he would beat me like he beat everyone else. And I would just ask him, you know, what, what did I do wrong on that route? You know, how did you beat me? What did I show that made you be able to take advantage of that? And, and he really helped me uh, in, in my covering of tight ends. Man, you like to learn because you're asking these guys what you're doing wrong, yeah. what you can do better, uh, getting tips and pointers from from everyone. Who taught you the most? Who taught your, me? Um, from your career. You know, I, I was – I was so fortunate, you know, coming into the league, I had, you know, you talk about one of those guys who, who taught me my first training camp, Wayne Krebet was a guy who was, who would wear me out at practice. <laughs> and, you know, I had some good cover skills. I felt like, you know, and he would be, he was, he was beating me in one-on-ones and I had to go ask him, I said, Wayne, what am I doing that you're beating me? And he told me, he said, you're looking at my eyes. You know, because Rain, have you ever seen Wayne run? He runs crazy. Uh-huh. You know, his arms are flailing out. <laughs> he's, his head's going side to side. He's like, you're looking at my eyes. You're supposed to be looking at my waist. And it was something about him that made me look up there. Mm-hmm. And once, once I figured that out, once I paid attention to it, it made me a better defender. But uh, in my room, in my, my position room, I had Ty Law. You yep. know, I had, um, who else did I have? Lawyer Malloy, mm-hmm. who, who was a great player. I had him in, in Atlanta. Um, Played with a lot of great players who who really knew the game. Curtis Martin mm-hmm. was a guy who showed me how to be a professional on and off the field. Um, I mentioned Eric Barton. Chad Pennington is a is a guy who I still talk to today. You wow. know, just a great leader, great great guy who you want to follow. Um, I'm a Redskins fan. So what about Santana Moss? Santana, oh, <laughs> Tana man, he was he's the best. right? Santana was awesome. I love him. You know, his energy every day in practice. He would have this great energy. He would catch a ball, spin it. You know, <laughs> celebrate. You know, he was always full of life. Always had great energy and worked very hard. All those guys from Miami. That's one thing that they're gonna do. They're gonna work hard in the weight room. Yeah. They're gonna be in great shape and they love playing football. So it, it's great to to play. He's a small like guy though. Small, you know, he's about five eight, mm-hmm. you know, probably one ninety five. He's strong, mm-hmm. you know. You can't really let that fool you with him being short because right, he's, right. he's a strong dude, fearless, going across the middle and can run past anyone. And Roddy White, then you played with Roddy White. Yeah, Roddy, man, Roddy is another guy who just loves the game of football, you know. And Roddy, he was so tough. He comes from a wrestling background. He wrestled in high school. Um, and, and if you saw Roddy walking around the, the, the locker room or walking around the facility, you would think he was a guy that didn't take football serious because he's always laughing, always joking. But once he got in the weight room, once he got to practice, he was full speed every route. Every route he ran, he wanted to make sure that it was that the timing was right between he and Matt. Mm-hmm. So in the game, it was it was it was nothing, and, and it really showed in what they did. They had a special bond, he and Matt Ryan, and, and connected for a lot of yards. Yeah, and now it's Julio Jones putting in work, connecting mm-hmm. with Matt Ryan. It's unbelievable. Um, you thought once Roddy White was gone, you're like okay, what are they going to do now? Yeah, and it's Julio Jones just just filling in for and, that. And it's spot. the same thing in Detroit. You know, with Calvin retiring, you would think that it would be a, a drop off, but. These quarterbacks, they continue to elevate their games and, and continue to try to be better players. And now Calvin's doing Dancing with the Stars, yes. I think. Yes. Did you ever do Dancing with the Stars? I – Don't no. tell me you were contacted to do it, please. No, no, okay, no, okay. no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not, oh I'm not that cool. Uh, you know what? I don't – I would like to I would like to learn how to dance, uh-huh. like Dancing with the Stars, but I don't know if I would do it with all the cameras rolling. You know, It's I, a lot. It's a lot. And yeah. – it's funny because they really judge you. It's mm-hmm. not like you get time to be like, oh, you know, you're not that, you know, you played this yeah, sport and this you're athletic. But, yeah, this isn't really your thing. They will judge you, man. And, and they're critiquing really, like, you in front of the, the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, tell, someone telling you you can't dance when you know you can dance, you know, that, that has to be humbling. You know, and it has to be humbling just to, to go down to, you know, to go to a different realm, go to a different sport. Mm-hmm. If you call, you know, dancing is a sport. You have to be very athletic. And to learn that sport and to dedicate yourself to it, I give those, I give all those participants a lot of credit. Yeah, we were talking to Amber Rose. My husband uh, knows Amber Rose, and she was saying, she was like, "Listen, I love Dancing with the Stars. It's a great workout. I get to meet tons of people." Um, she's like, "But this is hard, and it's the critique is like it really gets to you. Yeah. It's like because week after week, just people judging not only your body but the way you move your body, mm-hmm. and that's like a really personal thing, the way you move your body. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You don't really think about it like that. So she's like, "Yeah, it's just it's a really bizarre situation." But she obviously. Uh, loved her time what did you learn from these guys you know you talked about nutrition and the fact that uh Roddy was a wrestling guy and Mm -hmm. that was his background what did you learn from these guys that if you could go back you would maybe have taken some of that knowledge 
and do it over again? Well, you know, you learn that there's a, a lot of different ways to skin a cat. Okay. You know, you don't have to just do it one way. You know, I, I would take pieces from from everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, Ty Law, you know, was a guy who who really took his time. You know, when you would pull up to the facility, Ty would be in sweats running laps. And during practice, when the offense was out, Ty would be doing conditioning on the side. Okay. And I asked him, what are you doing that conditioning for? He said, this conditioning is for December and January. When it's cold outside, when the playoffs are coming, everyone's getting tired, and I'm going to be at, at my peak shape. You know, I'm going to be I'm going to be at an elite level. I would take something like that. I would take some nutrition advice from from Tony. I would take, you know, fitness advice from, uh, you know, whoever. I would just try to, you know, continue to to learn as much as I can from each player. One one other guy who was a beast was Jonathan Vilma. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you talk about studying, Jonathan and I got drafted together. And, you know, as, as young players, you know, you, you're in New York City. You want to go out and party and have fun. Yeah. So maybe on a Sunday, Monday night, we would go out to the city and have a good time and we get home three o'clock in the morning and you know we drive a car together um be in a car service together get home jonathan would be calling you at seven let's go work out let's go watch some film i'm like man i just man. got home <laughs> you know but you know his dedication to the game was you know was the reason why he had so much success so i would try to take a little bit of pieces from everyone and put those towards my career. And that's pretty much what I did as a player because, you know, I wasn't the biggest, strongest, or the fastest. I was a fifth-round pick. You know, I had to make sure that I was prepared physically and mentally every time I stepped on the field. You always wanted to be an NFL player once you realized that you were good at football. Did you always think that you would get to this level? Because not many people do. You know, I didn't. I didn't. And it's not really it, – it wasn't really a goal of mine. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was in high school, I remember wanting to be an FBI agent. And really? I felt I want to be an FBI agent bad. What did you see that made you want to be an I don't, FBI no, agent? No, it was just something about like law enforcement, about um, like being in the Marines, being in the armed forces. All that stuff has always been appealing to me. Mm -hmm. So I, f I figured out that the way to the to the FBI, you can go to law school. You can go, you know, be a police officer for a certain amount of years or you can go serve your country. There's there's some different ways that you can get in to the FBI. So my goal, I was like, I'm going to go in the Marines when I'm at, when I graduate. Uh -huh. I'm going to become an FBI agent and, and do that, you know. And so once I started getting scholarship offers, I was like, oh, OK, I'm good at football. So maybe I can play football. And I went into college. I, I was a criminal justice major because I wanted to be in the FBI. <laughs> and then that kind of, you know, with the football workload, doing the criminal justice thing, it was just too much for me. I played as a true freshman. I didn't have that red shirt year. You know, I, I, my first game ever in college, I was playing. And so that workload kind of took its toll. So I, I lowered my, my degree <laughs> and, and kind of put it towards something else but and put my hopes on the back burner. But even when I played in, in college, I never thought about the NFL. Not until my buddy Lamont Thompson, who was my roommate, he got drafted two years ahead of me. He got drafted in the second round. And I remember looking at my buddies like, man, Lamont got drafted. Like, do you think we can get drafted? And so that really wow. kind of started me thinking about the NFL. And then the next year, uh, my, my other best friend, Marcus Trufant, was drafted the 11th pick of the draft. And I said, man, I know I'm not as good as Trufant, but I'm pretty good. Maybe if I work hard, I can have the opportunity. And, and thankfully, I was blessed with that opportunity, got drafted by the Jets, and it was one of the, the best days of my life. Well, it's really interesting because when you start at college, it must have been like a, there's no real end in sight in terms of what I have going for me besides the fact that I want to play NFL. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have a clear-cut plan besides that, right, that you want to enter the Marines. So that's you almost kind of have a singular focus. Mm -hmm. But then once you're opened up to, well, you could actually extend your NFL career – and keep going and doing this for the rest of your life. It's kind of like, holy shit! Like this is actually yeah. something I could do forever. I mean, yeah. what I could make money doing this? Yeah, and this it's is, real. You know, that's. I mean, how was that realization when it hit you? Well, you know, it, it was. Um, we were going to a bowl game. I want to say we were playing the Holiday Bowl. And before, like it was right after our last regular season game, I got a letter invite me to the NFL Combine. And only like the top 250 players get invited to the Combine. So I was like. You know, I was taken back. Like, man, I really, I got invited to the combine. This means I'm, I have a fair shot of getting drafted and making this my career. And so, as soon as that last game was over, I, I didn't go back to school. I went and trained. I put all my energy towards the NFL. Wow. I, I went to, to Alameda, California. I, I was, I was training two or three times a day. I was, my nutrition was right, and I put all my energy towards football and then once you get drafted that's just the start mm -hmm. you know now you have to take all that that extra time because you know as a college player everything is structured you have class you go to you go to practice you know and the NFL player 
you have practice and then you can do whatever you want. You have a bunch of money in your pocket. Right. So I was always that guy that wanted to maximize my opportunity. I didn't party too much. I wasn't out, uh, you know, hanging out most of the time and, and, and really wanted to focus on becoming a better player and extending my career. Were you ever a partier? Yeah, I had a good time, you know, in, in, in college I did. I had a good time, you know, with my friends. But I never let it affect, you know, my job. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's one thing that, that all professionals, all people need to do. Like, if you're, if you're going out partying, that's cool. But make sure it doesn't affect the next day. Make sure it doesn't affect your, your, your work life, your responsibility. Were you, like, a bar guy, lounge guy, house party? What was your, like... Um, well, you I'm like more of a beer pong. Or you yeah, I'm more along? of a I'm more of a lounge guy. Okay, I like to listen to music. You know, have a drink. Uh, you know, maybe see someone perform. I, I like to conversate. Uh -huh. you know, I don't want to be in a loud club with the music going and you're just looking at each other. Everybody's standing <laughs> around. That's not that's not really my thing. I, plus, I don't like being around that many people. Uh -huh. you know, it kind of gives me like a weird feeling to be bumped everywhere you go someone's trying to get by i like to be able to sit down somewhere now you know i have a cigar you know have a scotch or something and just uh -huh. really just enjoy conversation and, and enjoy just winding down oh my gosh you're, he's so grown <laughs> like a, like an old man man i had to, I had to, oh. I had to grow up quick I, en I enjoy a good scotch and a cigar too scotch of choice which one do you default to my the one that i usually go to is if i if i, if I buy it at my house is mccallan 18 oh yeah, I try to buy a bottle of the good stuff and just make sure that I, I keep it in my room. Cause write I, that down, Kyle. You writing everything else? I'll make sure <laughs> I'm gonna, you write don't that worry, down. No, that, one, that one's locked up here. I got yeah, that because so, so it's I a go, great scotch. So, so I do McCallan. a McCallan 18, and I got to keep it in my room because if I leave it out you know, with the regular liquor, when my in-laws come over, when family friends come over, my wife will just be pouring it up for everybody. <laughs> no, I'm that, like, baby, this is for everybody. This is for me right here. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so I enjoy that. In a nice, in a nice Cuban cigar. Okay. That's, that's a right. good combo. And that's what you do now to have a good time? Yeah. You guys go out and, uh, I mean, you go to a charity events. I know you guys mm -hmm. go to, to events where you go see people speak and, and things for um, different organizations. What do you guys do to, to kick back and have a good time? Vacations, all that kind of stuff? To, to kick back? Yeah, we like vacations. Uh, I'm going on my first cruise. Ooh. This, uh, Cruises are awesome. Where probably, at? Um, we're doing the Disney cruise, going okay. down to somewhere in the islands somewhere. But but I'm, I'm a little nervous. I've never been on a cruise ship. Mm -hmm. I hear a lot of stories. And I can't imagine how big that ship is going to be to have all the activities. It's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm doing the Disney one. I did so the my Disney kids can have kid. some fun yeah. so I can yeah. so I can get a break so me and my wife can can enjoy each other. Yeah. For a second, I did a riverboat cruise in May, which is a little different because it's only like uh, I think a, a very small amount of people, okay, uh, a couple hundred, and it's a lot different than the bigger ones. And it's funny because you're on this boat and you're like, wow, this boat's pretty big, and mm -hmm. there's a huge dining room, and it's weird to have a life on a boat, right? It's yeah. just like weird to see tables and chairs and things that you don't normally see, like in the middle of the ocean, <laughs> in the middle of the ocean, uh, but on a river, and then you pull up into the harbor and you just look up. I mean, this ship is massive, this thing that you're gonna be on. And I'm not trying to make you nervous. Yeah. I can tell you're a little hesitant. I am. It's like a city. Scary. It's like a city on the ocean. It's so weird. It's wild. Man. They have like bowling alleys and and uh, arcades and yeah. theaters and it's crazy. And, and to, to picture being in the middle of the ocean where you can't see land in any direction, that kind of creeps me that out. That creeps me out a little bit too. Yeah, yeah I don't know if I could do bit. that. I know that's why the good thing about the river was that I could see the shore here and I could see the shore here. Yeah. And like it was cool to be on the water, but I was like just kind of chilling. Like if I really need to get <laughs> yeah, somewhere, that's I had where I to need jump to go. Off, I yeah. can get there. It's yeah. a little it's a little disconcerting when you get on and they're like, okay, here's where all the life vests are. This is the boat. If things go awry, you get. Oh, on you're this. gonna have an emergency drill when you yeah. first get on. But oh man. But and after that's like pretty freaky. After that, you should be smooth sailing. Get a drink. Enjoy just like hanging out. And like he said, because it feels like a city. on the the ocean. I don't think you'll be able to necessarily tell that you're on the water. It's, okay. harder. Yeah. it's harder to tell, yeah. And with those big ships, there's no uh, like rocking back and forth. Like little waves, you don't even notice. Like, okay. You really don't. It's I'll, nice. I'll make sure to report back to you guys after. Perfect. After oh, back. please. Yeah, because those <laughs> things make me. Uh... It'll make us a little bit jealous, too. It'll <laughs> yeah. be cold and you'll be down but in the But it'll make Caribbean. me feel better if you get there, make it back, report back, and yeah. let us know. Oh, how I got to tell you another about yeah, yeah. another trip. We're going to Italy. Uh, so I connected I connected with uh, Executive Global Tours and myself, Wayne Krebet, um from the Jets, Mario Manningham and Terrell Thomas from the Giants yeah. are doing a, a cruise. I mean, not a cruise, a trip to Tuscany. 
And so, oh, wow. and, and everyone, if you go to executiveglobaltours.com, you can go in there and sign up. I think it's like $3,800 for seven nights, um, oh flight included. You know, we're doing tours. It's a golf tour. You can go golfing. You can go to different spas. You can go shopping. Um, everything is going to be set up. And 70% of the proceeds go to the Thrive Network, which is the, the charity that I'm the ambassador for. Wow. And they help out families with disabilities and, and help them live normal lives. So it, it's, it's a charity thing. It's during spring break uh-huh. for New, in the New York area. Um, so it, it's a wonderful thing. You get to kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, that's fantastic. Have you been to Italy before? I've been to Italy. I've been to Italy twice. But My, not Tuscany. Not Tuscany. I've been to Sicily. I've okay. been to Rome, Venice, and I spend most of my time in Sicily. That's where my wife's family's from, and you know we we like to go over there and spend time with the family. Where in Sicily? And, where are you guys? And we, all over. So my mother-in-law is from Agrigento. My uh, family's Porto from Porto and Yeah. So we, I mean, we go to Tarmina. We go to Shaka. We go all over the place. And, and, and I'm driving like a little, like a, a ten-passenger van with a <laughs> stick shift, and don't know where I'm going, but I have the little navigation going, and, and we have a really good time with it. I've been to uh, a couple cities in Italy, but Florence is my favorite. Oh, it's beautiful. And you've been to Florence? That, no, my um, my buddy Coy Wire, who mm-hmm. are, um, what is Coy works for Headline News now. Uh-huh. I play with him in Atlanta. Coy, he gets to travel around the world, but he was showing me all the pictures from up there, and it just looks like an amazing place. Great That's food, cool. yeah, great shopping. Food. That's yeah. like the fashion. That's where all the fashion is up there, right? Uh, I don't know. Is the fashion in Florence? I uh, it was Milan. In Milan. Milan. Oh, Milan. Fashion okay. capital yeah. of the world. Well, they all dress nicer than That's than true. Us. Everyone better than here. I mean, you can't even tell that they're all they all look the same in a good way, like yeah. fit and you know healthy and um, beautiful, gorgeous people. Whereas we're all big, fat, lazy Americans. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of us, but some of they us. They can't even go to the grocery store without getting getting dressed to the nines. I know. Oh my gosh, it's fantastic. Like, where are you going? Oh, the park to walk my dog. Like, yeah. You look like you're going to the White House. <laughs> yeah. <Fantastic. laughs> um, where would you like to go if you could go anywhere? If I could go anywhere, I've always been. Um, I've always been a big fan of, of Australia. Ooh, I'd okay. like to go down there. Everything I, there wants to kill you, though. You know that, right? Everything there? Yeah, everything in Australia wants to Have kill you. Have you seen See, the kangaroo cool. videos? Oh, my goodness. I saw that video, and I was crying. Where the guy punched He the really kangaroo. punched that kangaroo. Yeah. And the kangaroo jumped back like he was shocked that <laughs> yeah, he, he punched like, him. Like, did he just punch me? <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, a little bit upset because yesterday it came out that, like, animal rights groups are really upset that he ran up and punched his kangaroo. But I'm he saved it, his dog, though. he saved though. his dog. Saved his dog. But he's also a zookeeper, so he kind of, like, knew what to do in that situation. That kangaroo was fine. The kangaroo was fine. The kangaroo, the kangaroo's he looked ego stunned. was hurt, but yeah. that's all right. Yeah. Bruised ego, looked stunned. Probably not going to get back in the ring anytime soon, but the kangaroo, <laughs> the kangaroo is fine. But, like, how did that kangaroo get so swole? I don't know. He had, like, that, chest muscles yeah, and everything. Like, like, and these legs were amazing. <laughs> I think if you spent all day jumping around like that, you might be But But how does that account about, for the chest? Yeah, though? the upper body. Because he was swole. You know what? I don't think kangaroos are running around eating McDonald's all day, so they're probably just going to okay. be fit, you know, for the most part anyway. I don't know, man. That thing looked crazy. Yes. Yeah. Don't, it was an awesome. I don't think I would have been. There you go. That dog, everything wants to kill you, even the kangaroos. Yeah, we would have we would have lost a dog if that was me <laughs> in that position. Because I would have let that dog sit there with the, in that headlock. You're like, bye, Sadie. See ya. I'm getting out of here. Uh, do you have any pets? No, I don't. And my daughters keep begging me to oh, get a dog. I can't even imagine. And I want a dog bad. But, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like my my little guy, I'll probably wait till he's a little older before we get a dog. This, That's a lot of responsibility. Right. And at two, it's a little tough because having a puppy and a two-year-old. Yeah. It's like having two babies. videos of babies with a puppy, like on Facebook. Oh, that's adorable. not me. That's not me, though. I can't have the yeah. dog licking my kids in the mouth and... <laughs> Sharing food with the dogs. I mean, I've been around dogs since I was a baby, so I I'm guess. I'm guessing the dog yeah. wouldn't sleep yeah. in the bed so do either. Do you share your ice cream cone with your dog? My dad does that with popsicles. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't go, I don't go that far. Dog. But I've always had a dog like sleeping in my bed since I was a little okay. kid. You know. Um, I respect that. I, I love was, dogs. Yeah. When I was younger, you have like the rope bone, and like my dog would get angry, and I'd have that one end of my mouth, and one end. Oh, of that no, that's okay. taking. Come on, Kyle. Uh, that's taking it a little too far. <laughs> too far. I was sleeping my bed. I'm not chewing on its toy. I wasn't chewing on the toy. You're making it seem like I'm just sitting off in the corner, like chewing on a dog bone. It's kind of a playing. <laughs> I was playing and if the dog feels dog. like it did sound playing like that. with you, then that's when you guys play tug of war. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. I hold on to all the bones. Uh, tell us what you are now a part of in terms of the alumni, the NFL alumni headquarters. So uh, I'm the I'm the director of chapter relations with the NFL alumni. And the, the NFL alumni is one of the oldest uh, former player groups. Uh, it is the oldest former player group uh, in existence. We've been around since 1967. Uh, we believe in taking care of our own, taking care of former players, and taking care of the kids. So there's 34 chapters around the country. Each chapter is responsible for being involved in their community, doing fundraisers to raise money for children's foundations. We, we create benefits for our former players. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people don't know this, 
a lot of the older players, their retirement isn't as, isn't as lucrative as the, the players nowadays. So, you know, we have guys, uh, older players who are going through different things. We try to provide benefits for them mm-hmm. uh, that supplement them, you know, so they don't have to have insurance. They can go get checked out. Uh, we do we teamed up with Player Care Foundation, and we go to do screenings, and a lot of the major cities will be at the Super Bowl, and we, we make it accessible for all the former players, no matter how long you played. If you played a day in training camp, if you, you're on a roster – you can come to these player care screenings and get a full physical, you know, get your heart checked, get your, you know, get your uh, blood tested, get everything done, brain scan, hearing, all that stuff com- uh, free of charge. We just want to make sure that, that all of our players are taken care of and, and, and that they, th- they can live successful lives after the game. When you talk to former players, what's the one thing or, or a couple things that stand out to you in terms of like, wow, that's something I didn't know or and that's either, you know, sad or, or interesting that, mm-hmm. you know, People who are just regular fans of the NFL don't know. Well, well, one thing, you know, talking to one of the older players, he was talking about his his pension package, and he gets like $135 a month. And, you know, I was wow. thinking, like, what can you do with $135 a month? Not a lot. But, you know, so that was very surprising. And you don't, you know, as a, as a new former player, you know, I've been out four years, you don't realize what, what the players before us went through mm-hmm. to get their benefits and, and the conditions that they played under, you know, back in the 60s, in the 50s, 60s, 70s. You know, it was tough conditions. And, and as a union, we'd ha- we've had to fight for so many of the benefits that we've had. And, and of course, with the NFL um, being aware of some of these things, they've, they've given up a lot of the you know they've helped out a lot as well so it's been a great group effort the game has progressed has continued to progress it's getting a lot safer it's getting better more beneficial for players but um another thing that i've seen is how many former players are doing great after the game you know you always hear about players going broke and um you know people not making money but i've met a lot of players who are ceos of companies who 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 are running things and doing great positive things after the game of football so it's really um it makes me happy to mm-hmm. see all the success that the former players are having after the game, but, but uh, it's definitely something that I, that I look forward to. Well, and a lot of them have gotten into media, like yourself, mm-hmm. so that's a really positive thing. But the problem is there aren't enough media jobs for all of these former players, yeah. right? And not everyone's built for the camera. <laughs> yeah, you're um, right. But, but, you know, a lot of these guys are, especially with, uh, with their knowledge of the game. What do you tell a guy who's, you know, maybe thinking about retiring in terms of what to do next? Well, you know, I, w- I would tell a guy who's playing, make sure that while you're playing, you take advantage of it. You go do internships. You go job shadow. Make relationships. Save those cards that you get while you're playing because everyone wants to be – involved in, in, the, in the current player's life and everyone wants to help out current players so take advantage of that right. um, in your offseason spend time figuring out what you want to do when you're done playing you know for myself I, I would do internships I would do um, job shadowing and, and when I was done playing it was still hard you know I was still like what am I going to do with my life right but you know I figured it out uh, I had some great people in my life great support system my wife was by my side you know urging me to do better and uh and it worked out and I and I made a successful transition but Playing, transitioning out of football is not something that's easy and, and it's, it's something that's going to take no matter how prepared you are it takes time to, to, to transition out of the game is it weird to start over in a new career it is it has to be right because you, you were know, at the top of your game you did everything you could you gave your you know the nfl everything you possibly could and you succeeded and you got to the pinnacle and now you're like I'm back at the bottom. Yeah. What I mean, the hell? You're, you're now like, I'm learning all over again. Yeah, you're literally like a one percenter. You know, no <laughs> one can do what you do. You're the best in the world at your job. Yeah. And now that that job is over with, they, they tell you you can't do that job anymore. Yeah. Now you have to go figure something else out. And, and for me, I opened up a medical practice when I was done. And for me to, to go knock on doors, to, to go through the licensing, um, the licensing, the build out, you know, building up your, your infrastructure for your company, knocking on doors, asking people to, you know, for business, things like that. It's so humbling, you know, because as a player, everyone wants to cater to you. And when you're done playing, now it's time for you to ask someone for something, and you're not important anymore. Mm-hmm. So no matter how big your ego is, you know, it's still humbling, you know, and, and you have to learn how to, to put all that energy towards something else. But I, I think that where former players have success is they have something in their heart that allowed them to work extra hard to become the best of the best. Mm-hmm. So if you direct that towards something else – and, and, and put your energy towards it and all your heart towards it, then you can be just as successful doing something else. But uh, it's tough when you see guys who went out of college, they're doing a the job, you've been playing a game. 
You know, they, I've been, they've, been, they've been working for nine years. I've been playing the game for nine years. Uh-huh. Now I'm supposed to just jump out and hop in where, where they are. A medical company? Is that what you said? Yeah, it's called, it's called Core Medical. It's an anti-aging clinic. And you knew you always wanted to start this? When did no. you... Oh, so so I started that when I, in the off seasons I would train in Miami. Okay. And you know a lot of guys from the, around the league, you know Frank Gore's and um, Chad Johnson's, a lot of players from around the NFL go down and train in in North Miami uh, with a guy named Pete Bomarito. Mm-hmm. And when I was down there, I would ask some of the older guys, you know, how do you last throughout the season? Because you know week. 14, 15, 16, my body is done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they said, you know, we do these IVs. We got, they got medical IVs, um, vitamin infusion IVs. So I went to this, this place called Core Medical in Delray Beach and got a couple of IVs. And I felt great. You know, my recovery was quick. You know, it was just all vitamins. And, um, and so I just started asking questions. And when I was done winding down, I, I made friends with the owner. And he said, why don't we open up one in New York? So um, we opened up a clinic in New York. I, I had to wow. learn all about business, and yeah. uh, it, it's been great. We've been open for almost three years now. That's incredible. What have you learned so far about yourself from that business? Um, I, I've learned, I, I've learned that um, that I can be more than a football player. Mm-hmm. You know that that my the, the skills that I, I that I had playing football, the leadership skills, the accountability, the the hard work, uh, the communication, all these things that you learn playing sports, they transition over to the real world, and you just have to apply yourself and, and apply them to different situations. Yeah, you just got to kind of tweak them a little bit, and once yeah. you realize how to do that, it probably becomes a little easier. Now, as a member of the media, how do you first view the media, and then second, how do you watch games probably differently than when you were playing them? It's I have a a, a much bigger respect for the media now you know being a part of it um you know a lot of uh, there's so much preparation that goes into to writing a story to report doing a show to talking about sports you know as a player you have to focus on tendencies you're focusing on individual players but as a as a person in the media you have to focus on statistics more you have to know trends you have to know everything that's going on like you're it's it's a constant job like Mm -hmm. you you don't get time to just a lot to, to media, mm-hmm. to sports. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to constantly be on the updates because, you know, especially with technology nowadays, there are things happening every second. So you have to be on top of everything. The preparation is tough. And and speaking in front of a camera is not as easy when you're being asked questions as when you're asking questions. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. So it's something I'm still getting used to. All right. Do you like it? I love it. Yeah. I love it. You know, I, I played, you know, nine years in the game. I, I feel like I'm a professional. Like, I have my doctorate in football. So it, it's great <laughs> to be able to, to pass on those stories, to pass on that knowledge of the game that I, that I accumulated playing the game. Let's talk about your mom a little bit because mm-hmm. she was such an influential part of your life. And she struggled early on in her life with mm-hmm. drugs. And that had a huge impact on you. It and, did. And what she was able to accomplish eventually, which was – being clean and graduating coincided with your success as well, right? Yeah, yeah my, I mean, my mom, she's she's one of the, the strongest people I know. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up, you know, my parents got divorced when I was 11. You know, there a lot of drugs were, were going on in my family, and it was it was in our family's best interest for, for my parents to split. I didn't think that at the time. You know, I'm 11 years old. Right. Didn't really understand it, but, you know, my mom took on that responsibility to take care of my brother and myself. My sister was a little older, so she was out of the house. Mm-hmm. And... You know, drugs really took over. You know, my mom did some, committed some crimes. You know, my my last, my senior year in high school, my mom was in jail. So I lived with some friends. I had to go on recruiting trips. I had to pick what college I was going to all without my mom. And she had to wow. sit in the jail cell while I was doing that. So, you know, it, it made it really tough. Did you, you know? have a relationship with your dad at that point? Yeah, I did. You know, it was a relationship. My dad and I at that time, it wasn't the best relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but since then, my father and I have a great relationship. He moved back to California where we came from, mm-hmm. and we were in Spokane, Washington. And, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of support, right. you know, from my dad at the time, but I had great people in my life. That's one thing that I've always been blessed with is, is great friends, great relationships. Um, I have a lot of good family members that really took my brother and I under their wing and made sure that we were okay. And, um, you know, to see my mom come out of jail, she got to come watch me play in college football and to, to recover from, you know, her addiction, apply herself in life and, you know, to graduate, you know, with, from her community college and, and just get back to being the, the smart, 
intelligent, you know, friendly person that she was, mm -hmm. it, it's a great feeling to see her have success. Are you more proud of her, her accomplishments or yours? Well, I'm definitely more more proud of hers. Mm -hmm. You know, overcoming a drug addiction is not not an easy task, and, and it's something that a lot of people struggle with, mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't overcome. And for my mom to, to be able to, to overcome that, apply herself, she's involved heavily in the church, mm -hmm. you know, um, and really just a big part of our lives. It, it's it's a wonderful story. You know, playing football, it's a game and it's a blessing and it's something that, that God blessed me with. Mm -hmm. But overcoming that takes a lot. It takes God. It takes, you know, it takes, um, it takes all kinds of motivation. Did you ever do drugs? Never, never. You know, I was always, uh, you know, seeing my parents go through that, seeing my parents do, you know, you know, finding drugs in the house, things like that. It was, I was always one of those people where like, I'm never going to do this and I'm not going to be like this. And I learned a lot in life from what, pe from people's mistakes. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've done. That's what I did when I went to the NFL. I learned from a lot of people's mistakes. I would watch film. I would watch players ahead of me make mistakes and okay, I'm not going to do that <laughs> and just keep it moving. So, um, you know, it, it's something I've been blessed with. You know, I've always had a, a great intuition about things and, and drugs have, you know, playing sports, you're too busy to, to do drugs. You know, you're too busy to go out and party if you really want to be successful, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to make it to the NFL. So it was never really anything that I was interested in. How did you um, take what you learned from your mom's situation and apply it to helping other guys in the league? Because addiction, it doesn't matter what form it is or what your mm -hmm. drug of choice is, it runs rampant throughout the NFL and professional sports. Yeah, I mean... I I always try to be there for, for younger players, you know, try to be a, a voice of reason. You know, one thing that, that people don't realize about NFL players is, you know, you, you think about a guy who's 21 years old, gets drafted, gets all this money, mm -hmm. and you think that their life is just easy. But you, everyone has that family, those friends that are asking for things from them. Mm -hmm. You know, that, you know, I had calls from the uncles, from the cousins, from, from all these random people. You know what? I need three thousand dollars. You know, I'm in a tight jam. Can you help me out? And that's a lot of stress. Yeah, of course. And so learning how to deal with that was something that was big, and that was something that Curtis Martin helped me with, mm -hmm. and that's something that John Abraham helped me with, and all these veteran players. And, and you know, they really helped me through that process. But you know, as far as players come overcoming tough family situations, mm -hmm. you just have to be there for them. Be be a, a shoulder for them to lean on. You know, talk about it. That's one thing that's great about the NFL locker rooms. There's a lot of people, there's a concentration of about 50, 60 guys who most of them are going through the same thing that you're going through. Mm -hmm. And there's nowhere else you can go besides that locker room and talk about the personal things that you talk about as an NFL player. Right, right. If you put yourself in your mom's shoes, like let's say we had her on the podcast, mm -hmm. and we asked her what she was most proud of from you, what do you think she would say? I think she would be most proud of the father and the husband that I've become. Mm -hmm. You know, um, not having my father really involved in my life, having the the the, the tough upbringing with the drugs and everything, um, you, you know the, the statistics show that I wouldn't be a good father. You know I wouldn't be a good husband. But you know, like I said, I try to learn from mistakes of other people. Yeah. And, and my kids and my wife—they're the most important people in my life. Uh -huh. You know, there, there's no better feeling than going home and having three little people excited about seeing you <laughs> and jumping on you and want, wanting to spend time with you. You know, it's a great feeling and, it, and it's something that I, um, I'm i very grateful to be a father and, and to be a husband as well. So I think she'd be proud of that. Yeah, you made it out, man. That's amazing. Um, and you. it's always, yeah, it's congrats. And it's, <laughs> it's so cool it. to be able to see because, like you said, we focus a lot on, on situations that are very hard that guys have been through. And we don't always look at some of the uh, more impressive guys who've been able to get through and work through a lot of the things in their lives and, mm -hmm. and um, be so as successful as you've been able to be. All right, Eric, we end every podcast with an embarrassing story. Uh-oh. Okay. So it could be at any point in your life. It could be your career or growing up. Or anytime you're really embarrassed, we've had guys tell some of the most ridiculous stories on this podcast. Uh, uh, I had Victor Cruz talk about a time where he almost he almost shit himself on a first date, which was <laughs> so good. He went behind a shed and uh, he didn't get his pants back. I don't yeah. think. No, it was, it was uh, his uh, his undershirt. Oh yeah, he cleaned yeah. himself with his wife beater. <laughs> I mean, damn, you make me do this. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna make yeah. you do it, man. All right, well, okay, so. I don't think I ever really talked about this with anybody, even my teammates at the time. But going into high school, you, you talked about Victor Cruz shit on himself. Mm -hmm. So going into high school, it was like like the day before high school started. We had football camp, and I'm in football camp, and and we're we're closing practice, and I had to go to the bathroom bad. And like coaches breaking it down, I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? Man, I ran to the I ran to the locker room, and I live close to where we where we played, and. 
as soon as I got to that locker room, I started like, oh, shit. Like, I'm about to go like, shit myself. <laughs> so I ran right past the locker room and just ran home. And, like, I had, like, shit going down my leg. Oh, and, like, no. it, was, it was terrible. It was, like, the worst feeling in the world. But, like, I think I ran so fast away from everybody that no one noticed what happened. <laughs> And I just got home. It was that was disgusting, and it's, that's that's probably my most embarrassing moment. Hopefully, nobody remembers it because no one said anything to me about it. Is there it. anyone on the team that you could tell that story to now that would be like, "Oh man, I remember. I kind of remember that day." You just kind of <laughs> you ran and you were gone and you never came back. Yeah, all oh, my boys. They were, they were probably wondering. They probably knew what happened, but you know, I tried to play it off and act like nothing happened the next just day. Had to go home real quick because the next day was my first day of school. Oh you know how God. embarrassing is that to start high school like that? And no. then did you get the pants back or you burned the pants? Oh, I burned them. <laughs> oh, man. I burned them. But, and, and then another, I mean, another embarrassing thing was while playing football in high school again, I got my front tooth knocked out. <gasps> no. And my front tooth, I, I, I got hit with the elbow. I looked down. My tooth was laying there. And I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And so, you know, the next I went to the hospital. They numbed my, my gum up, put my tooth back. And I, my lip was like literally touching my nose. Oh and I had to go to gosh. school like that, and oh. that, that was embarrassing. How painful it was, was that? It was very painful, and oh, that's that's the, the the things that you go through to be a football player. Of course, but the fact that you found your tooth is pretty awesome, right? Yeah, yeah. You were able to recover. I, I, it. I woke up and it was laying right in front of me. Oh it was bad. God. You put it in milk. I remember my coach said, "Put it in milk." Went to the hospital. And it was disgusting. It's crazy how that works. All right, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. You can find Eric as a Jets postgame analyst on SNY and a Pac-12 network host on SiriusXM NFL. Thank you so much for joining us. I thank really you. appreciate it. Yeah, thank it was awesome to have me. you. Yeah, I'm glad we finally worked this out. Me too. Is Are you on Twitter too? I'm on Twitter at Eric Coleman, Eric with a K. I'm at Twitter, Instagram. I'm on Facebook as well. Uh, trying to do my social media thing. All right. Good for you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Eric. Thank you guys for having me. And let's go get a snack.